Welcome to the Minivate Gang Podcast, episode 386, recorded on Saturday, December 10th, 2016. I'm Tim Elliott, and I'm on with Phil Wilson. Good morning, or afternoon, or evening, depending on when you're listening to the cast. And joining us once again is Julio Ojerez Zapata. Hello, good morning. And our buddy Steve Borsch has taken the week off from the podcast, but doesn't mean that we're not going to uh, talk about the stories of the week, tech stories here in Minnesota, starting with a story that you uh, wrote this week, Julio, about tech gifts uh, from Minnesota. Now, I thought this would be a good way to start. Just have Julio tell us what we should be buying. So That's right. <laughs> so what's yeah. good that's made here in the Minnesota uh, area that would be a good Christmas gift, Julio? Yeah, there are a lot of options. I, I cherry-picked a, a few of my favorites, uh, starting with the Pat and Quill. Pat and Quill is in, in Minneapolis. They're a maker of uh, a really high-quality uh, iPad and iPhone cases, uh, Apple watch bands, you know, made of leather, wood, linen in some cases. Um, really, really good stuff. I've been I've been covering those guys for a while. Um, really, I uh, really like their stuff. I have, a, I have one of their Apple watch bands on there wrist right now which is fantastic um i also suggested you know if, uh, if people have a little money to throw around they can uh they can turn to colorware and have their uh their favorite apple device painted in uh, any color of their choosing you know colorware in winona is kind of a a high end paint shop for gadgets instead of cars you know good stuff i've i've been down to visit their facility you know very you know very cool um uh, Aces flight simulation at the Mall of America. If you know if you're an aviation buff or a gamer, you can you can go and spend some time in their in their uh, high tech simulator flight simulators. You know, a lot, lot, lot of good stuff. Uh, crash plan. You know, gave somebody the the gift of uh, data protection, so on and so forth. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say that, uh, you know, what, what sort of amazes me is that, that uh, you know, ever since the Mall of America opened, I remember that that, that flight simulator place has been there. And I've never, I, I, I am quite frankly amazed that they're still in business because that's a, that's a spendy little way to spend some time at the Mall of America. But it must be really a great experience because they have been there for such a long time. Yeah, I've actually, those guys, I've been covering them for for an awfully long time, they used to be uh, they used to be in a strip mall in a in a some, some weird suburb somewhere Robbinsdale or something, um, and uh, and they had I, I believe they had tried to get into the Mall of America and were kind of laughed out of town, kind of a thing. Um, and so they they just they started in this obscure strip mall with some very somewhat basic flight simulators. And since then, you know, they convinced the Mall of America to let them in. They got in there, and they they later. Uh, uh, replaced their old simulators with these really high-tech sort of spherical simulators that were just in terms of technology were just one, uh, several orders of magnitude better so they've been constantly sort of improving their game which mm-hmm. which might might uh, go a long way to explaining you know why why they stuck around because uh, as you know you know it's not that's the cheapest possible thing to do yeah exactly exactly so yeah, that was that was interesting to see. So also, you you did a piece this uh, highlighting. <laughs> we were talking about this as a family about the 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 tradition of going to a Christmas carol. You've got a new tradition. It's this is the second year in a row it's been in mounds. You got to tell talk about this one. This is great. Um, well, the, uh, there these uh, playwrights from Minnesota um, uh, back in I believe two thousand and seven they adapted the Christmas carol. 
story to the original Klingon. You know, the Christmas Carol originally wasn't Klingon, of course. So of course, knows sure, that. yeah, it's Chris. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It was more Ferengi, wasn't it? <laughs> Just like Shakespeare, Shakespeare, the yeah. original Klingon. But um, uh, they uh, they've adapted the the story uh, to sort of a Klingon um, point of view. It, uh, the uh, Scrooge or or Scrooge, is, the main character is called <laughs> Scrooge. Is it He's all not- Klingon or is it? Yeah, in English yeah, or yeah, I'm sorry to get into that. Uh, so the so the the story is adapted. So the so the the character is a coward uh, as opposed to you know the 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 regular story. Uh, he he's um he he's unwilling to go into battle, which is the honorable thing for a Klingon to do. And worst of all, he's a moneylender. So, um, and the entire play is in Klingon, which sound which it, when I first heard about that sound, even though I'm a Star Trek fan, sounded horrible. How do you? How can you possibly enjoy a play entirely in Klingon? But um, they project the subtitles on the screen, so you you don't you can understand what they're saying. And I think that the the nicest touch, uh, especially for non Star Trek fans, is there's a Vulcan narrator, um, this uh, you know one of these pointy haired people, uh, sort of um, you know holding a book and sort of narrating the story. The the um, the, the the play is actually set in the Vulcan Cultural Institute or something like that. And they're, and they're sort of, and then, so the, so this member of this uh, anthropological society is sort of, sort of guiding you along the story. It, it works extremely well. Wow. Um, and um, uh, the Klingon Christmas Carol a few years ago was, was staged in a Minneapolis theater, the name of which is escaping me. But then uh, uh, the Mounds Theater sort of took over uh, the rights uh, apparently, the licensees require that a- anybody that puts on this play has to be the only one doing so within a 300-mile radius, um, uh, sort sort of keep it special. So the Mounds Theater has the um, exclusive rights in the Twin Cities to, to, uh, to stage this play, and they've done this for the second year in a row. Uh, they told me last year they, they sort of made uh, the Klingons sort of goofy, like the main character was, was kind of a Scooby-Doo-like kind of a guy. Oh, very nice. Uh, this year they, they played it a little more straight. There's more cathos. Um, uh, there's a lot of bat left uh, combat, and uh, and it's 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 kind of hard to explain, especially if you're not a Star Trek fan. But it's 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 a it's a it's a lot of fun. It's it's Very it's cool. just fantastic. My neighbor Lana Rosario, who I believe uh, Phil uh, Phil you might have met at my my last party. Yeah, uh, she played the um, the uh, the ghost of. Konos past, uh, Konos being the Klingon homeworld. There you go. At, and uh, if you're a Star Trek fan, you'll appreciate this. Uh, the the ghost of Christmas past is played as a 1960s um, Klingon. Ghost of Christmas present is played as you know s- standard Klingon. And the ghost of Christmas future is played as one of the J.J. Abrams uh, Klingons. Uh, there you go. See, nice, li- nice little touches there. Yeah, little touches, sure. Yeah. Cool. So if you can't get tickets to the Guthrie, then this would be a good one to go to. You get the same story with a little bit of different flair. <laughs> oh, and they, and if you and if you uh, if you um, if you go, they have uh, uh, Klingon blood wine as as your beverage options at the concession stand. Oh, lovely! Mm, I always <laughs> love that. Lovely. <laughs> nothing nothing better than Klingon wine, you know. Well, uh, you know, other news this week included uh, Piper Jeffries. Uh, 
um, top analyst is uh, Gene Munster. Gene Munster, who keeps saying there's going to be a TV from Apple, is uh, has now m- moved on and is starting his own VC fund. Or start or, right? Is it is it his own or is he joining some partners? I can't remember. Uh, he's joining a couple partners, yeah. but he, it looks like he's staying here and he will be heading the Minnesota office, Minneapolis office, and then his other partners are in New York. So. Well, um, do you suppose that'll mean more VC money in Minnesota, or is it just going to be based here? I don't know, but I think that uh, you know, that if you're doing AI, VR, or uh, augmented reality stuff in Minnesota, like some of our friends are, yeah. um, maybe that maybe there might be some money. That's great. Who knows for those kind of things? It's it's an interesting uh, place for him to go out to after being an analyst uh, to, you know, r- really focus on on vr and augmented reality and 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 the like so you know i'm not sure if those technologies will go big or not but a lot of people think they will so we'll see yeah and then our neighbors to the south are uh, having a bit of a dispute with uh with uh, a minneapolis company Uh, iowa is uh, disputing a not a small bill 1.6 million dollars in charges from uh from a uh, minnesota software company Ties. They're from uh, St. Paul. Yeah, and this is not this is not the first time Ties has had issues, which is uh, which is getting somewhat depressing. <laughs> yeah, with all the standardized testing, uh, you know, I know that that the Lakeville School District went uh, to something else. Uh, I think it was from Pearson. I want to say yeah. that didn't perform well either during their standardized testing a year or so ago. Right. So yeah, this apparently is a very difficult uh, place to you know, to, to do software for, I guess, because Ties is being accused of the same kinds of problems um, that impacted uh, thousands of, of uh, Minnesota or Iowa uh, students. Right. So, yeah, and you almost wonder, wait, wait, maybe you should just do the darn test on the pen and paper. It's a, yeah, that's the way we used to do it, right? You remember Scantron. But it was all that's about, right. That was all about. <laughs> number, number two pencil in Scantron. <laughs> But you know, I'm, I, I'm tested. If you, as you read into this, as you read into the article, if you've ever dealt with or or are a, you know running or part of a, a software development company, um, a lot of this stuff is probably not unusual to you as far as disputing charges and and or, and, and how things work and and that sort of a thing. So um, there's a little of that going on as well. So it, I, hopefully, it will the software will perform better in in its winter. Or its winter uh, version of testing, and um, they can get past this stuff. So, but mm. this such is the life of uh, of developing software. So. Yep. Well, Fitbit's been in the news this week, and we'll talk about them later in the show. You mean, but you mean the company that killed Pebble? That's how we know. That's them, right. right. Yeah, right. Exactly. Okay. Thank <laughs> guys. Yeah, but they're working with Medtronic on a, a diabetes software integration bit. So that was. Sounds good. That is interesting. Good to see. Although, although I'm, a, I'm, I'm a little unclear whether that will require new hardware from Fitbit because I don't know that the, their current devices have the capability to you know track diabetes type stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, I wonder as far what as sensors, yeah, yeah, because yeah. it's just basically motion, sleep. Uh, they do have a, a heart rate monitor and in, in some of their models, so. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, I guess we'll have to stay tuned on this one to see exactly, you know, how that product looks. Yeah, exactly. exactly. But uh, Julia, you were uh, writing it up this week with the uh, the old Ring doorbell 
deal with this guy. Was he a, a St. Paul resident that uh, watched his holiday stuff get stolen from his doorstep? Yeah, well, l- let me back up. Um, I was on my uh, on the admin of my uh, my little neighborhood's uh, Facebook page here in St. Paul, um, and I was hearing some chatter from my neighbors he, uh, on that page and some other places on Facebook about their packages getting stolen off their doorstep. Um, and, you know, me as a journalist, I hear things like that. And it's like, story! That's a story. <laughs> so, <laughs> Job security! Yeah, exactly. So I, so it's like, uh, yeah, I should, I should write about that. So I, um, I went on a bunch of other St. Paul neighborhood, uh, Facebook pages and just sort of, you know, solicited stories. And it, uh, apparently this year and, and in past years, uh, package theft from Porsches is kind of a, kind of huge, uh, uh, sometimes organized, uh, gangs in cars are like actually shadowing UPS trucks. And when a UPS guy drops off of the package, they swoop in and they grab it. So it's kind of, it's, it's, it's really prevalent, uh, around the holidays. And, um, I kind of went to town on this. I did a story on the trend. I did another story on, you know, the various kinds of technologies, different security cameras you can install. I had a little tip sheet. Um, so I did a, did a whole bunch of initial stories um, and then I came, um, that was kind of fun. And then I came back around, uh, actually Carrie Levin initially, uh, broke the story. Um, but I, I, um, I chased it myself as well. Uh, this guy was in Hawaii and he got a motion alert on his phone that somebody was in front of his house. Um, the motion alert was generated by his ring video doorbell, which is a doorbell that has a security camera and a motion sensor built into it. Um, that somebody was at his door and he assumed it was a, a friend of his who he had asked to go pick up one of his packages that had just been delivered because just pre- just a few minutes earlier, he had actually been talking to the delivery person, you know, from Hawaii via his ring video doorbell, which is kind of cool. Um, and he instructed the delivery person to just drop the package off uh, my door here because a, a friend of mine is going to swoop in a few minutes later and pick it up. But apparently um, a thief got to the package before his friend did, um, and this was all captured right on the Ring video doorbell and uh, and recorded. And so I I did a story on, on that, uh, interviewed the poor guy. And it's, uh, as I said, it's a, it's, a, it's a fairly common story. Well, it looks like the police have uh, some good video to work with to find the perpetrator. And the video quality, yeah, the video quality of the, of, of uh, motion detecting consumer security cameras, as you know, is, is quite good these days. Yep. I, I use I use drop cams myself. Um, I have a bunch of them, you know, point sort of pointing there. I have indoor models and they're sort of pointing out my window, um, you know, so somebody walks up my stairs with uh, with evil intent. Um, you know, they all, all they have to do is kind of look up at my windows and see these little cameras pointing right at them. So, so I, I, I haven't had any package stuff, although I'm, you know, I'm very, very careful about like tracking them and making sure I'm available to, to catch them when they arrive. But, um, yeah, the security cameras are, are, are a good thing. They could protect you from having packages stolen. Uh, or if you have packages stolen, you know, they, they, they generate some nice evidence for the authority. So it's, it's, it's kind of a win either way. So we have a uh, guest on this week, Katie Jones from AntiqueJewelry.com. You'll remember a couple weeks back we talked about the uh, uh, the website. So let's get Katie on to talk about what they're doing with uh, VR. 
That sounds like a plan. I'm kind of interested to see what's going on with the VR in the jewelry world. And uh, I, you know, I had a chance to talk with Katie early on, and she's just she seems it's just very exciting to see a small Hello? business take off. Hello, Katie. Hey, how's it going? Good. This is Tim, and we're on with Phil and Hello. Julio. Hello. Hello, everyone. How are you this morning? I am lovely. How are you all? Well, see, she's lovely. See, we have, <laughs> you know, we have voices like, you know, Tim, Steve, and I, we never say we're lovely. That's very nice. So uh, Maybe you should bring it into your vocabulary. Yes, it's you true. Know? Well, this is lovely for you to join us. Uh, tell us a little bit about, now, uh, Katie, this is a, tell us a little bit about the, the first, the, the business. Uh, give yes. Us, give us the quick little rundown of what the business is. So we are Atique, um, and we're uh, a new uh, online boutique for antique and vintage jewelry. Um, and we're in Minnesota, obviously, um, and we're kind of a spinoff of RF Moeller Jeweler because they originally had the domain name antiquejewelry.com, which is where you can find us. Um, and that's something that Mark Moeller registered over 20 years ago. He registered the domain name before you even had to purchase domain names. Um, so he just went online and said like, yeah, I'll take this. Right. Um, and then it was kind of sitting there for a while and he hadn't really done anything with it. They had a few different ideas that popped up over the years, but nothing ever came of it. And finally, um, this year he was like, you know what, it's time. We got to do something with it. So the, the gang at RF Moeller kind of handed me the torch and, and I've started running with it. And so, yeah, now we've got product online and, and we're about a month old at this point. So it's very exciting. So what was the genesis of uh, moving into VR? Because clearly you could just have an e-commerce shop and sell your jewelry online. But uh, how, how did you get the idea to, to go after VR as a, as a way for uh, visitors to have a more immersive experience? So what we saw with a lot of online jewelers is that they started online and then they realized that people weren't getting the experience that they wanted with jewelry because people tend to want to touch and feel jewelry and see it in person before they make a purchase because it's, it tends to be, uh, you know, a larger purchase than something you might buy on Amazon where you're like, well, if I, you know, if I lose a hundred bucks, I lose a hundred bucks. Um, but when you're purchasing an engagement ring and you're spending two, three, five thousand dollars or more, you want to see and feel the jewelry, um, so you know what you're getting. And we did not want to open up, you know, uh, a brick and mortar location. We didn't want to open up a store. We wanted to be online. But we realized that virtual reality was a way to create that showroom experience for people. So you can see some of the products. So you understand the quality and the craftsmanship of the pieces that you're going to get when you order something from Atique. And you just kind of get immersed in the world of Atique. So there's a video there where you can uh, see myself and then Toby, our CTO, talking. So you know the people who are behind the business. Um, we're not like this mystery company that you're just ordering from online and you don't know anything about. So it kind of creates an environment where people can get comfortable with us and get comfortable with the jewelry that we sell. So a lot of us have known Chuck uh, Olson over the years, and yeah. uh, you got c connected with him, I I'm assuming, via Toby. Um, so did, did you guys approach him, or would, did he come the other way with the VR idea? So actually, I had been talking with Pixel Farm about doing VR, um, and it was just something that we couldn't do with them. They were they're a little bigger than we are. Um, and so we ended up getting put in touch with Chuck through Pixel Farm. Um, and Chuck was willing to kind of help us out and has been amazing to just work with. He's done fantastic things with this app and 
what we're asking him to do is not something that exists. <laughs> like people haven't created um, jewelry apps for virtual reality. It's just not a thing that has happened. And the jewelry is really hard to um, get these these 3D videos of that we've been doing because it's so small and it's well, so like intricate. So so Chuck was has been super super innovative in that area and getting the photos to work and the video to work in the virtual reality environment. So as a consumer, what uh, do we need to be able to have the whole VR experience? Do we need to buy an expensive VR helmet or can you just use your smartphone? Yeah, so that was one of the things, you know, we could have gone with something where we could go to, you know, shows and have a, a full on vibe or something like that, that people had to put on and step into the room. But we wanted people to be able to use the app from their house. So we have um, an app that works with Google Cardboard, which is you know, $10. Um, and it also works just with your smartphone. So you can just download the app and you can spin around the room by just kind of moving your smartphone and you can still look at the pieces. I have to say it's way cooler with the headset on, especially if you've never used um, virtual reality or if you're like new to it, it's amazing how much you feel like you are in this little like boutique showroom all of a sudden when you put on a piece of cardboard, <laughs> you know, cause that's what the Google cardboard is. It's, it's just cardboard with two lenses on it. It's amazing. So have you seen uh, an increase in traffic uh, since your launch? And uh, I guess it was late last month. Yeah, absolutely. It was amazing. The day that we put product on the site, um, you know, there was more traffic. Um, and also just having the app out there, we've gotten a little PR from it, which has been fantastic. Um, so yeah, we're, we're really happy with the amount of people that are starting to visit the website and we're starting to get some return traffic, which is huge because in the jewelry industry, again, you're not, it's not a simple purchase. You've got to find something you like. People want to think about it. They come back a few times and then they finally decide to buy that piece. So, so getting return traffic is the biggest part of, of the puzzle here. So if uh, people are interested in a particular piece of jewelry, but they have questions, do they, do they chat with you online or do they have to send an email or do they call you on the phone? How, how does that work? All of the above. Um, we have a chat feature on our website so people can ask us questions about the jewelry um, and we, you know, people can give us a call. Um, I'm even willing to, you know, do video calls with people to show them the jewelry kind of more in person. We want to make it a really easy, comfortable experience because I know how scary buying jewelry can feel, uh, especially if you don't know what you're getting. Um, so we're just trying to make it as easy for people to get in touch with us and talk to us as possible. Wow. Great. And I just see that I noticed that the app is done by Martin Greider, another great guy. So just a great yeah, bunch of people someone, working on this. I have not met, unfortunately, but every time someone sees that, they're like, oh my God, he's fantastic. He I is. love him. He so. is. That is one dedicated developer too. So yeah, yeah, nice job. So yeah, you've got Toby Grins involved. You got uh you got Chuck Olson, you got Martin Greider, you got you got sort of the uh the the elite, you know, group of uh of uh I guess you can call entrepreneurial developers. So nice job. And I have to say, we we kind of lucked into that. It's been an amazing journey. But I so Ian Fitzpatrick was someone who worked with RF Moeller Jeweler, mm -hmm. um, and I was working with RF Moeller. And Ian helped introduce me to Tobin, Toby, and it's kind of just waterfalled from there. It's been yep. amazing just meeting all these new people. And I'm 
you know, my background is in um, marketing and I'm originally from upstate New York. So I've only lived in Minnesota for three years now, maybe almost four. Um, but so I'm pretty new to the community and definitely new to the world of, you know, like cocoa and startups and all of that. So meeting all of these people has just been fantastic. And it's such an amazing community to to kind of find my way into. Katie, do you think, have you seen other, um, you know, marketers, other firms, other companies uh, use this technology um, either on on their web, on, on the web or, you know, in apps or even in store? Have you seen this done before? No, especially not in the jewelry industry. Um, you know, I, I think people are, especially in the jewelry industry, hesitant to take the leap and try something new. I think what we've seen when, in, when you look in the app stores at the, the experiences that are out there for retail VR apps, it's all like these um, kind of fictional apps where some developer said, hey, I could create a retail experience using a virtual reality app. And it's just a world, it's not actual product. It's just kind of a cool store that you can maybe walk around, but it's not connected to a physical retail um, location and it's not connected to even a you know an e-commerce retailer. So we haven't seen anything like this, and especially in jewelry, people are just so so hesitant to j take the leap. You know, the jewelry industry is still working on getting e-commerce up and running. They're still like, ooh, a website? I don't know, that's a little scary. Um, so, so VR is like a totally new field for people working with jewelry. Does the does your app work on uh, iOS as well as Android? Or yep, it yep, does. yep, both okay, iPhone and and Android. Yeah, I'm seeing here online that a uh, couple of uh, relatively well-known companies like Seiko and so forth have dabbled a little bit in virtual reality. Uh, but it, I think this approach uh, lends itself a little better to uh, boutique uh, kind of a retailer who has unique, uh, you know, products with personality. So I think this this has potential for uh, for an outfit like yours that has you know products that, that are just visually a lot more interesting. Yeah, and I mean, our dream would be that someday you would actually use the app to purchase jewelry. So you could actually walk around inside the app, um, look at all of our jewelry that we have available, and then make a purchase in the virtual reality environment. That would be the goal, you know. So we never have to create a brick and mortar location, but we still get that that experience for people. Cool. And mm -hmm. some people have, there have been some jewelers um, and some large companies like uh, Tag Heuer that have used augmented reality, which is another thing that we've talked about. Um, so like Apple did this when they came out with the mm -hmm. Apple Watch. You could use augmented reality to take a look at what the Apple Watch would look like on your wrist. Um, and some jewelers have done that. And we would love to use that technology as well, maybe where you could actually put one of the rings on your finger and see what it looks like. But the challenge there is because these pieces are all totally unique um, and vintage, we don't have like a rendering of them. They weren't created using CAD or anything like that. Yeah, that's exactly my point. These are these are very unique pieces that need yeah. to be experienced in three dimensions. And so mm -hmm. that, that makes, absolutely, makes perfect sense, yeah. Yeah. Very nice, Katie. Just great stuff. So best of luck to you. Uh, thanks very much for joining us this morning. And uh, now we can all say, you know, we knew her win. <laughs> Here's hoping. God, I hope that's what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, really, exactly. It's like, and now she's an alcoholic. It's just, just yeah, great. right. <laughs> when, oh. <laughs> that could go either way. Yeah, I suppose it could. But no, I think it's the site looks great and I, the concept is great. So thanks very much for uh, sharing it with us.
Yeah, thank you for having me on, guys. Have a great day. Have a great holiday. Hey, you too. Bye-bye. Bye. So that's I think that's kind of cool. Um It is. So well, it, it, have it. it's good, it's it's good to see kind of the the vintage older stuff meet new tech yeah. as well. And geez, what a what an incredible group of people to to be involved with. I mean, they really are great folks. So Anyway, uh, what's going on in other tech stories uh, in the in the world, uh, Tim? Well, well, the big the big story this week it got a lot of play. I think uh, yes. is uh, by Farhad uh, Manju over at the uh, New York Times with the clickbaity headline: "The Gadget Apocalypse Is Upon Us," and uh, he kind of goes through uh, lots of recent failures. Uh, Pebble, which we touched on earlier, which is a bummer. My, my Pebble is going back to the store today. It is? Um, it is because I can. it's within the 30-day return window at Target, and I can get my money back. They canceled the, um, the warranty on it earlier in the week, even though it's only three weeks old. And it looks like that it will no longer work at, at some point in the future, but who knows how long that will be. So um, anyway, but... On this story, he kind of gets into all sorts of spectacular hardware failures and speculates that um, perhaps the, the the hardware of uh, business is kind of going, except for some notable exceptions like uh, smartphones, is it's going the way of the dodo bird. But uh, we'll see. I think it's going to ebb and flow. I really do. I think that you know, I, that one of the quotes, obviously, that he he mentions in the in the piece is "hardware is hard," and it is. Um, so I think it's going to it's going to ebb and flow depending on what you know, what need does it address, what what uh, problem does it fix. So. And I I read I read that piece of, in a lot of skepticism. Um, I I'm not sure. He was um, he was he was on target with his with his reasoning because um, I'm just thinking about technology. We just we just got off the phone with, with somebody talking about virtual reality. Um, there are a lot of technologies out there that, in their current implementations, are are uh, either very uh, crude, like the Google Cardboard, or are very expensive, like the Oculus. And um, as we see these technologies being refined and sort of boil down into uh, packages that uh, people can sort of buy at a reasonable price price to get a good experience. Uh, we're going to see a, a new generations of gadgets doing things that today's gadgets don't do. So the gadget, I if I read this piece correctly, saying the, I'm making air quotes here, the gadget is dead kind of a thing. And I, I don't think it is at all. Um, I think we're just going to see uh, different, you know, uh, as, as you say, Phil, it ebbs and flows. We're going to, we're going to see at some point, uh, new kinds of gadgets doing 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 new kinds of things that uh that current gadgets are not doing at all so yeah yeah why do we think uh that pebble failed is it that the market wasn't big enough um i mean it seemed like smartwatches as a category have really not taken off um my uh my theory uh and i may be wrong is that uh the uh Technologically, Pebble just couldn't compete. Uh, it tried to go sort of bare bones and say, "Hey, we're a minimalist company with you know a streamlined product that isn't like gee whiz so fancy as other things, but you know does some, some fundamentals." But uh, I, I, I think just in terms of technology, it was it was one or two steps behind the competition, and that I think just killed it. Um, 
and I I have I'm gonna go back into the archives because I can't remember the name. I, I I'm I'm thinking of another example of this. There used to be here in the Twin Cities a uh, technology company, a company that said, "Hey, we're gonna make tech gadgets for kids. We're gonna make kids cameras, you know, kids all kinds of kids gizmos that that are are just for kids." Um, and it was an interesting idea. I played with some of their at the time. I played with some of their products, including a. Uh, uh, I can't, some of my favorite pictures of my of my then toddler son or you were taking with with this company's product. But I was always scratching my head a little bit because um, uh, in terms of just raw technology, these things were were very very puny uh, compared to other adults' products of the day. And I was saying, you know, is it? Are you shortchanging uh, the customer, you know, the child, by giving them a product that's just vastly more primitive than other products? And I think my my logic has been borne out today because if you buy a kid a tablet, you don't. There are kids' tablets out there, but does the, does your kid really want a kid tablet? He want he doesn't want a kid tablet. He wants an iPad, just like mom and dad. Um, and I think that the the Pebble story is somewhat uh, similar in the in terms of uh, of products that they just look and feel and behave. More primitively than other other products, and I, and I think that's something that uh, that people uh, many people just don't want. That's my that's my theory. Well, I went to Pebble, and 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 I think it's the, really the only uh, solution that I found acceptable because I wanted a little bit more than what Fitbit was giving me with notifications, and I still wanted to have week long battery life like a Fitbit. And I still wanted to have all the other features like uh, the Fitbit has of tracking motion and sleep and so forth. So Pebble was a unique fit because it gives you the always on uh, display. It gives you notifications and things like weather and, and other apps. And it had a, uh, a really good developer community, it seemed, and it's fairly mature platform. And to see Fitbit come in, acquire them, and, and basically shut it down after they came out with uh, a really compelling second generation product is, is disappointing to say the least, but it appears that there's just nothing out there that is like what, what Pebble was doing. So I'm going to have to go back, I guess, to a, a fitness band of some sort. Um, uh, I under, yeah, Tim, I understand your logic, but I'm, I'm taking one or two steps back. Uh, if Pebble had been going gangbusters, they wouldn't sold out in the first place. True. Right. And I think, and I think that's my point. I mean, the people might go into a store and they look at, Here's a here's a, a, a an Apple Watch with this you know this gorgeous color screen, and then here's this uh, Pebble over here with this kind of weird black and white kind of a screen. And I think um, uh, uh, Pebble devices have a have nerdy appeal, and among people like us, I I love Pebble watches personally. Um, among people like us, they have they have a sort of a cult following, but I I don't think the uh, the consumer acceptance was there or was going to be there for the reasons I just outlined. Yeah. All right. Well, it's a sad day. It but, is a sad uh, day. It's the company I will, that I killed, will get over it. The company that killed Pebble. They killed the dream. <laughs> they killed the dream. They killed That's the dream. I'm sorry. But, it's okay. Uh, oh, well. It's okay. So, I'm going to go back to Fitbit, I guess. I guess. Let's talk a little bit about cool things of the week. Uh, who wants to start? Uh, Tulio, do you have one this week? Or, or you always have like 3,000 of them. So... You have a cool thing of the week that you'd like to highlight? I'll let you go first while I scramble here to come up. With okay, well, yeah. <laughs> you scramble. Hey, you've got an interesting one, Phil, which uh, begs a question. So why don't you go? 
Okay. Uh, well, I had a very interesting week this week. I was involved in a uh, uh, an accident where um, uh, a driver drove through the uh, their red light and into the side of my car, and uh, I became an instant big fan of side curtain airbags. Uh, that you know, I haven't experienced. I've never experienced an airbag deploy of any kind. Uh, but this one, um, I got to tell you. Uh, I was hit probably the driver was probably doing about 35 or 40 miles an hour and hit the side of my car. And I think that I would have been in really bad shape had it not been for the side curtain airbags. They deployed yeah. uh, instantly. I bounced off of it. I, yeah, I'm a little sore, but it wow. was, I was a big fan of it. So is that your car in the picture? That is my car in the picture. Yes. Oh, poor car. I know. But are they going to fix it, or are they going to have to get you a new car? No, they're going to fix it. So, oh. um, which is, you know, you know, as a as somebody that's been in an accident, you never really. It's like, uh, you know, if they total it out, I'll get a, a, I'll, I'll have money to buy a different car, but I won't have enough money to buy the same car. But uh, if they fix it, you know, you always feel like, you know, it's just not quite the same. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Mm. So, and it, my biggest concern is being a hybrid, that the battery is right behind where that uh, that that the impact was. So, I'm kind of curious as to if the battery has been damaged or anything like that. So, so, we'll find out. We'll find out. So, big fan of side curtain airbags. I've got a link in there to uh, a government site on you know different types of airbags, so you can check that out. So, the the, well, the side curtain airbag deployed and the seat airbag deployed. Sorry to hear that, Phil, but I'm glad that you're you're in good shape. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate that. I got, a, I got a hell so, of a loner car, so you know it's all good. That's great. <laughs> so, so so my they, so they so they gave you a Tesla loner, didn't they? Yeah, they did. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. Now I'm driving the Dodge Dart, the Rally Edition, which was clearly designed for very slow rallies. So, <laughs> so it, it seems like there's uh, a quite a bit of uh, activity going in the mesh Wi-Fi space all, right. all, all of a sudden. So my cool thing is something called Plume, which is uh, just entered the fray apparently. Um, and basically the idea is you put uh, a number of these things, they sell them in three packs and six packs throughout your house and it forms a mesh Wi-Fi network that improves your Wi-Fi signal throughout the house. And this sounds like something that I really need to look at because my Wi-Fi upstairs um, in a three-story house here doesn't, uh, doesn't quite get up there all the time for my streaming video. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. So something like this will really improve it, I think. So have you seen these, uh, Julio? These plumes? So, yeah, so uh, if I'm understanding correctly, you've not tried Plume yet. I've not. I just found out about it this week from the story from The Verge. Um, so I'm going to suggest, you know, Plume might be great uh, for all I know, but I might suggest you might want to take a look at Eero. Yeah, the problem I have with Eero is they're like $500. Oh, Plumes are a lot cheaper. Okay. Yeah, these, yeah. Plumes are, these are 179 for a three-pack, so it's like, hmm, it's kind of interesting. Okay, that is interesting. Yeah, that's within the realm of like, hmm, can I talk my wife into it? Where I say, yeah, it's five hundred dollars. She's going to be less interested, I think. Did uh, the Verge <laughs> test it, or are they just announced it's available? No, it's just an announcement. It came out earlier this week, so apparently this is not shipped yet. So, right. So the I'm, I, I guess I'm I'm moderately skeptical about whether at such a lower price point they can pull off the technology well, that yeah. 
Google has something similar too, that the Google Hi uh, Wi-Fi. Yeah, and they, they haven't Correct. announced the pricing on that yet, but that also looks interesting. But uh, I, I'm I, speaking purely from personal experience. I have not tried uh, the Google or the uh, the Plume, but uh, I have tried the Eero in my house, which is uh, is somewhat problematic from the Wi-Fi standpoint, and it's been uh, miraculous, absolutely miraculous. Yeah, that's what I hear. So Mesh, I'm a, uh, based on that, I'm a big fan of the Mesh approach because I was trying to make do with just one uh, Linksys uh, router for, for my uh, Wi-Fi access point for my whole house. And it, it, ki it kind of worked, but you know I couldn't really use the Apple TV in the living room because the, the, the Linksys was, was up in my home office. And, and so now I have a, I have a uh, Eero in my home office. I have one in the kitchen, uh, one in the dining room, one in the living room. And it's been, it's been fantastic. So just uh, you know, to to take on uh, you know, speak for Steve since he's not here, I'll put on my tinfoil hat and ask: uh, Does this open up more access points to your to to your? I mean, is this a security issue that that you have now more access points to your network? Well, it, it, uh, it's basically it's ba uh, in in the sense of somebody from outside looking in. It's it's just it's one access point. It's all of these access points kind of working in unison. Um, it's it's somewhat like uh, um, like having a main access point, and then you have uh, you have repeaters. It's somewhat like that. It's not exactly like that, but it's 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 basically um, it's basically like it's basically one uh, network uh, with with various devices all sort of feeding into that network. So it is so it is in multiple access points from the point of view of somebody outside looking in. Although the the Eero, like like other solutions, does have, uh, have sort of have guest uh, access. Like if you have somebody in the house and you want to give them Wi-Fi, just give them the guest access. Hmm. So don't do you have another? That, don't know if that answers your question. You have another cool thing, Julio, or is that your cool thing? No. Um, well, I, I you mentioned Google. I ha actually have been playing with the uh, the Google Pixel and the Daydream uh, virtual reality goggles. Ooh. And, yeah, I have. Do uh, tell. I have those on loan, and uh, virtual reality goggles are still kind of an evolving technology. They're, they're kind of clunky. Uh, Samsung has uh, goggles for their for their phones. Uh, there's nothing really out there that's like super custom made for Apple devices. Although there are some third party um, solutions from from Monster, from uh, Homido, from uh, from Merge. You know, there are various options out there but what google has done with the daydream is that they've they've pushed you know the the uh the low cost virtual reality technology a bit forward because the uh, uh the the goggles pair automatically with with certain phones such as the google pixel and most recently uh uh motorola's uh, moto z from lenovo so those are the two phones that work with the daydream goggles now and what what, what happens is if you put the the phone in the goggles, uh, they pair up automatically. And then at that point, you can use uh, any existing virtual reality app out there. You know, obvious examples include uh, YouTube and uh, Google Street View, but there are many others. Um, and then there's a whole new a whole new generation of Daydream-specific virtual reality apps coming out that are interactive because the, the Daydream goggles come with a handheld controller, it's so, it looks somewhat similar to to Apple's um, uh, old Apple TV controller. It's somewhat similar. It has you know, it's very minimalist. Has three buttons, but uh, it can be used uh, like if you're 
uh, using a virtual reality virtual reality app that's that's kind of like a, like a museum, like a virtual museum. You can uh, as you as you hold the controller in your hand and move it around. There's actually a little dot that you can see through the goggles. That's a cursor, so you can actually point at specific things that you want to point at. Uh, or if you're playing like a video game, a space video game, you can sort of flip the the remote around in your hand and kind of use it as kind of a little uh, two button controller to sort of navigate and shoot and so forth. So the so what essentially what Google has done with virtual reality is uh, uh, it has taken it somewhat from a passive viewing mode to more of an interactive kind of a situation, which some of the more vastly more expensive virtual reality goggle systems out there already do. But now it's 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 being uh, accomplished uh, at uh, you know at a far lower price. It's accessible to more people. Um, and i've I've used it somewhat briefly. I've just had it for a little while, but it seems to it seems to work pretty well. And the goggles are uh, reasonably comfortable, which is kind of a problem with some of these goggles are just kind of clunky and awkward to wear. Um, these are pretty good. I, I, I'm not sure I would want to wear them for hours, but um, uh, they're they're a uh, they're they're a promising development so far. Great, very cool. Yep. All right. Um, anything else going on in uh, in uh, anything new on the events? Uh, no, no. It's still the, the same old same old events. Mostly holiday parties coming up. I'm off to um, Mini Star brunch today to talk about uh, volunteering and doing things in growth of Mini Star next year. So that'll be exciting. Oh. Uh, you know, Good. And, and uh, of course, we'll keep on uh, the edge of our seats, waiting for the next thing from Julio to keep uh, and to talk about that. And we will talk about it next week on the Minivate Gang Podcast. Mm-hmm.